Hello guys, welcome to our show. Today we discuss about mental health and leadership because it's very important today. I think most people have these issues. It's better to treat them now, to pay attention because most people hate their jobs, hate something that they have. It's better to change environment and go ahead. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Jeff Davis. How are you? Anatoly, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing well and I'm looking forward to our chat today. Yeah, nice. I'm looking forward too because I know it's important and I pay attention to this topic as well. I usually work hard and have no time to have some mental issues, but anyway, it's important. Now, uh, I agree that, you know, uh, it's not about uh, money, it's not about something that you have, it's more about happiness. You know, if you have happiness, then you can go ahead. And Jeff, I know you're from Netherlands, I love this country, I was in Aruba and I uh, spoke with some people from your country, I had them on my podcast, and they thought people from Netherlands are very smart, you know, they speak four languages, they know a lot of things, they're so positive, so I think it's good you know that you can learn about treatment mental health in this country because you have this environment jeff before you start just tell me about yourself experience background why people need to pay attention to mental health even if they feel uh, everything is right yes my pleasure so i'm a mental health advocate i'm a writer i'm a professional speaker i've written three books one thing i'm going to share with you and anyone who listens to this that i think you also find very interesting is that while I've built my empire as an entrepreneur and as the CEO of my business, I've been working in digital marketing. This is a very interesting discussion where we're going to talk about mental health and leadership. And I have that background, as you know, in digital marketing. So I've been in digital marketing for 10 years, working jobs in SEO, SEA, social media, marketing, analytics. And while doing those kind of jobs, I've had this side hustle that has been growing and growing and growing. And I've become a, a paid professional speaker globally. I mentioned I've written books. I focus on the topics of mental health and authentic leadership. And then the second part of your question, why is it so important? Well, I know this is a fact that mental health of your colleagues, of your business, of your employees, it will impact directly the bottom line. So this is not only a, a feel-good conversation, it's also very practical because the leadership and the mental health will impact results, productivity, and ultimately how much your business is profiting. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Okay, Jeff, let's talk about practical. You mentioned about practical. <laughs> uh, I love this because, you know, I think everyone knows you need to be happy. Everyone knows you need to eat healthy food, to sleep well, to avoid bad habits, uh, to pay attention to your mental health, you know. But it's hard to be practical, you know, in, uh, to implement in practice. Can you tell uh, how to change bad habits to good habits, where to start and what to do if we know our problems, but we, do, we are not practical with that? Yes, that's a great question, Anatoly. So changing bad habits to good habits. By the way, this is a, a great topic, and let's keep it practical. That's our theme here for our discussion today. So I'd say it, it starts with awareness. Awareness is huge. And this is not just some catchy term I'm using. I really mean this awareness. It can be self-awareness. So that's internal reflection. It can also be awareness through the help of our environment. That could be friends, colleagues, wh whoever, whether it's a mentor, whether it's someone you know who can help you. So through awareness and through reflection, you can know, okay, what's going well in your life and what's not going well? what can be improved. 
And when you have these really bad habits, let's say it's happening in your business and it's negatively affecting you and others, becoming aware allows you to replace those habits. All leadership on a totally starts with self-leadership and self-leadership starts with self-awareness. So what I would encourage anyone listening is to implement a practice of becoming more self-aware so they, they can identify those bad habits. It could be reflecting in a journal. It could be talking to someone. It could be finding some way through reading a book or going to a seminar because you can't solve a problem that you haven't first identified. So that's half the battle, identifying it, becoming aware of it. And then it's gradually replacing it. And Anatoly, it's not about changing everything at once. When we talk about habit formation and habit replacement, just tiny, small changes, whether it's in your lifestyle, whether it's in your productivity, whether it's in your work habits, whether it's within your self-discipline. And those small habits can snowball. It can take several weeks, up to more than a month to establish a habit. But I really encourage the listener here today, don't try to change everything at once. Make small, tiny changes once you've got that awareness, and that will help to form better habits. Um, I'm interested about uh, having these small changes, uh, slightly changing, uh, because, you know, for example, I had bad habit to smoke, uh, and I did it for a long time, like 15 years, uh, and I broke this habit uh, like five, ten, five years ago. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I, right now I'm completely... Uh, I, I completely forget about this habit and uh, you know uh, I tried many ways to uh, break smoking uh, but failed many times uh, I tried to minimize uh, the number of cigarettes the number of uh, uh, I counted them but it didn't work then I decided no way I need to stop to break smoking I read the book uh, uh, Alan Carr uh, wrote this book about uh, easy way to uh, stop smoking and yeah this book has helped me a lot you know so can you tell uh, how to do it slightly I mean like with small steps uh, for example if someone has a bad habit to eat unhealthy food uh, that means they need to visit McDonald's uh, less time <laughs> or any tips about that <laughs> yeah well Thank you for sharing that. And, and first of all, I want to acknowledge you. Uh, kudos to you. Congratulations. That is not an easy habit to break at all for stopping smoking. So I really wanted to give you credit there and to um, acknowledge you that that's an incredible, incredible achievement. So like you said, like say it's a lifestyle change and it's, it's like, say you want to eat at McDonald's less. Well, one thing that I want to come at this with is there's a lot of different programs out there. It can be like those five, seven, 10 step programs. And I saw this in what, in what you did Anatoly sometimes, and this is my, my unique uh, approach. Sometimes it comes from a really firm inner decision. So you want to make those small tweaks and you have to be in touch with why you're doing it. But sometimes it's just an inner decision. You can do all the steps and all the tips and you can read everything. But if you don't firmly decide in yourself to change it, it won't, it probably won't work. So that's something that can go really well. Another thing I want to add, you mentioned like making those small changes. Well, there's going to be a lot of setbacks. It's not, it's not linear. It's not perfect. It's going to be up and down. Sometimes it'll be two steps forward and five steps back. So what I wanted to acknowledge there is to be gentle with yourself that you have that awareness and you notice yourself going back into the bad habits 
and it's gently readjusting. Imagine you're flying a plane and the plane is off course and you just want to get back on course. And the analogy I share, that plane is off course most of the time, but it can land on time if you get it back on track. There's going to be a lot of setbacks. There's going to be a lot of mistakes like I have made and many others, but just tweak it. Keep adjusting. Keep uh, staying connected to that firm inner decision why you're doing it. And think about replacement. You have a bad habit. What can you replace it with? And when you think in terms of that, that can generally ease you into a better lifestyle and, and way of being. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I read, I read a book, uh, Atomic Habits, uh, it's a popular book, and yeah. the author explained that uh, people give up because uh, they don't see results in short time. Uh, because it's like... Uh, slightly movements, uh, it's hard to see them. For example, if someone wanna lose weight, yeah, it takes time uh, to change habits, to eat healthy food, to train hard, many other things. Uh, I think it's the same with anything, even to create content. Uh, you know, I, I saw when digital marketers can't get results for a long time and give up. But you know, Mr. Beast uh, filmed content for a year and a half to get first thousand subscribers. Thousand subscribers, just uh, 18 months of posting videos. Today, everyone knows Mr. Beast. He didn't give up. <laughs> He kept doing. Uh, so, can you tell uh, how uh, to be patient uh, with that? I mean, like to stick with uh, these slight movements and uh, don't give up because you don't see results. Yes, I love this. I love this phenomenal question, and I really mean this very authentically right now because. When I'm consulting with businesses all the time, I'm reminding them to think long-term and it's very hard. There's a lot of short-term focus there and that's about embracing the process. And I want to share this. I mentioned at the beginning of our chat that I've had this side hustle as a professional speaker. It took me nine years to start getting paid substantial money. Last year in 2022, after nine years of chipping away, I finally got paid that big, those big keynote rates. I knew I was always worth and nine years is a very long time. So I wanted to say, I know what it's like to have to be patient. So one thing I'm talking about here is embracing the process. And I know that sounds easier said than done, but if you can stay connected to the process, what are the things in your control? What are the activities that you can do, the seeds you can plant and detach from the outcome? Realize the outcome is out of your control. Again, I know this is taking practice. I know there's a mindset adjustment. We've all been frustrated before. But I remember over that nine-year journey of getting to the point where I am now, where I am now commanding very high fees for my keynotes, I had to plant so many seeds, the YouTube videos, the LinkedIn posts, the blog posts. I had to do all sorts of inbound and outbound marketing. It just went on and on and on and on. And I, I stayed connected to the process. So even if you're not seeing results, You think about what's in your control, what activities can you do, and how can you find rewards along the way? So you can kind of give yourself mini rewards. It doesn't mean you achieved your your big goal, but you can say, okay, I didn't get my big goal yet maybe, but you know what? I wrote a blog post today. I did a great video. I, I achieved this or I did that. And you can reward yourself along the way. And then happiness, which is a, a bit of a, a catchy word, can actually become part of your journey so instead of waiting to be happy at the end of your journey and and when you get to the destination instead you have many rewards along the way 
you embrace the process and you focus on those little activities, those little seeds that you can plant. And I promise you, even if it seems like it won't come true, it will if you stay committed to the process. Yeah, love it, love it. By the way, uh, I, I agree. It, uh, you know, happiness is not in the end. It's not the result of your hard work to do yeah. it. For me, happiness is the process. You need to enjoy the process. If you hate the process, uh, it's better to leave it and you will never regret. Because I remember I had uh, a new business project um, and uh, I wasted resources for three years uh, on this project. I had a lot of people spend a lot of money on that. But uh, I didn't get results for three years. I hated Monday, loved Friday. And uh, the main reason why I had this project for the sake of money, I felt that I can earn a lot, a lot of money because this, uh, the, uh, no, that was opportunity for me. But I, I hated this project. I hated everything about that. That was not my niche. Then I quit. I quit gave up uh call it how you want uh, how you want but you know uh i was happy after that <laughs> i was yeah. happy because for me right now it's better to enjoy the process it's not like for example you know i can play ping pong i can play basketball i can play uh cards with my friends uh i i'm not waiting when someone will pay money for my hobbies i think yeah. your job should be hobby if it's not then you need to find another job because we spend all half life in our jobs and if you don't enjoy the process if you think okay i can sacrifice and results will come and i'll be happy no you can't if you're not happy in your job you you can't be happy in the end because it's only short happiness you know even if you achieve you achieve uh, you can enjoy a few days then it's the same regular one so job can you tell why 70% of people are unhappy with their jobs and your tips uh, what to do. Yes, this is a, a huge topic, huge topic. And, and like you just said, we spend so much of our time, so much of our lives in, in those jobs. So first off, I want to say this. Anyone who's listening, I want to acknowledge. I want to acknowledge that if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you dislike or even hate your job, I get it. I've been there. Many of us have been there. And I wanted to say you're not alone. So that's the first thing I just wanted to share. Don't feel like you're strange for feeling that way. It's a very common feeling, as Anatoly said, 70% of us or more. So what are some things you can do to transition to something better? And I've been there. I've been in those miserable jobs and I had to use my lunch breaks and start applying for different jobs, thinking about those career transitions. And I get really excited about this because I know what it's like to be completely miserable and stuck. And I also know what it's like to flourish and to crush it and to move forward. So using lunch breaks, using, we talked about habits earlier in this discussion today, using little micro moments in your day. Maybe it's before you go to work in the morning. Maybe it's after you eat dinner in the evening. Focus on those little segments of time you have, sending out a few job applications for your dream job. How do you build your CV? Well, Joining civic organizations, you've got Rotary Clubs and Toastmasters, Lions Groups, Kiwanis, and there are all these things you can do that will make your profile more interesting, both professionally and also on an individual basis. So to find that better job, to transition into a better career, 
Use those moments that you can during the day. Look at the jobs that are out there and also do that deep inner work. Where do you want to transition? What career do you see yourself doing well in? And how do you get the skills that you need to succeed in that career? Do you need to go back to school? Uh, like I mentioned, do you need to join a group and work on a skill like public speaking? Is there some other skill you need to uh, join or uh, figure out or, or build upon? Joining a meetup group and joining that group and joining people who have like-minded interests. So these are all things you can do, Anatoly, that help you to go from that miserable place to a better place. It's not always easy. It's a process. It takes time. But I've been there, and I know it's possible to transition to something better. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Uh, let's talk about people who made their own choice. 70% of people <laughs> made their own choice if they're unhappy with their choice, uh, jobs. And... Uh, uh, once I spoke with my friend uh, who told me he hates his job, but he needs to pay bills, he needs to feed kids, he needs to feed family, uh, and he can't change his job to another one because he can't earn even close money that he can get from existing job, um, and it stops him. You know, uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, I think. Uh, many things you can do at uh, this time for example uh, many great uh, i don't know uh, showmen or actors uh, in hollywood they started like waitress you know to help uh, and they worked uh, at night so can you tell uh, for people who made drone choice uh, how to prepare uh, the plan and stick with that to change if they can't do it because of paying bills. Yes, yes. Yeah, this is the great conversation here, flowing very well. Again, first off, I want to say this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If that's your situation, I respect you. I acknowledge you because we all do need to pay the bills. I've had my fair share of, of crappy jobs, and all of us have had at one point or another. So I respect you for that, and you deserve credit for that. So there are a few things that come to mind. First off, let's say you're in a situation where you simply cannot transition right away. You're, you need to pay the bills. You need to provide for your family. You're not going to make uh, satisfactory money in a different job. One thing I would encourage you to explore is to find meaning, purpose, and interest in activities, not necessarily from your work, but in other areas of your life. So I mentioned I turned my side hustle into an actual professional business. You don't have to do that. You could have a hobby that you enjoy doing, whatever it is, arts and crafts or knitting or talking to someone or writing. I could name a, a, a many different things here. You can find meaning and purpose in just about anything. Maybe you're passionate about your relationship. Maybe you're passionate about your kids. I respect that. I love that. This is why it's really important to not get caught up in comparing ourselves to other people because we have our own life situations, our own missions, our own purposes, our own hobbies. So find that meaning and purpose. It's not in your day job, but where is it? Is it your relationship, your family? Is it a group you're a part of? Is it volunteer work? One time I, I was in a rut and I went and started to volunteer helping the homeless people and it kind of got me out of that rut. So I'm giving all these ideas here and whoever is listening can, can pick what idea works for them. But I really, really encourage you to find that meaning and purpose outside of the job. And then I'll just say this quickly to wrap up the answer to this particular question is 
yes, that can then turn into something bigger. Maybe it's like me, where I had a hobby of writing and speaking, which then turned into actively doing it. And now it's a literal business where I get paid. If it turns into that for you, great. Or it could mean you identify some other passion. Maybe you want to transition into a different career industry. You don't have to have your own business. Maybe you don't want to be an entrepreneur like Anatoly and myself. That's okay. There's totally huge validity and awesomeness in being part of a corporation or a business. So really find what works for you, given your unique path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by the way, you know, if uh, you enjoy to work to someone else, you know, it's more important if you <laughs> suffer to have your business, you know, yeah. Think yeah. about happiness that you have. Jeff, you mentioned that you write, uh, wrote uh, three books. Can you tell about benefits that I can get and my audience can get by reading these books? Because books, my loving formats, I enjoy uh, reading books and I had a bad habit to overwatch TV uh, okay. for a long time. <laughs> Then I changed this habit to read books. Today I enjoy. Uh, and uh, I found that many books are great for sleeping. You know, when you have problems with sleep, take a new boring book, read it, <laughs> sleep well all night. You can save money by paying for medicine pills. Can you tell about benefits that you can provide in your book and your uh, writer style uh, that can retain and catch attention uh, and to be practical? Because, you know, I found a, a, another thing that when people read and do nothing, learn do nothing uh, if you uh, overlearn and do nothing you get nothing but if you provide implement uh, you can get results tell about your books benefits and uh, how it can be practical yes yeah so a, a lot to share here so first off i'll start general and then i'll get more specific with my own book so generally speaking and i want to piggyback off the great wisdom you just shared anatoly Uh, reading books can help you go to sleep at night. Uh, that can be fiction books. Fiction books can be really helpful for that. I'm actually a nonfiction writer, but I'm a huge fan of fiction books. So here I'm, I'm just promoting the, the fiction world. I, I have fiction writer friends, by the way, so, it's a, so it can help with that. Also, nonfiction books can be really, really helpful when you have a specific problem. So you're having some challenge in your life. It could be your business, in your work. It could be your personal life. It could be any aspect of your life. Google it, go on Amazon, go to the Barnes and Noble site, whatever book site you love and see if there's a book out there that can help solve your specific problem. So there are some really good benefits to reading to help solve problems, to help you sleep better. And also it helps you keep your, your mind fresh and it helps you become smarter, more creative, thinking more clearly. Uh, the second half of my response, I'll go into like my specific books. I'm an authentic leadership author. I also put in mental health topics as well. So my books combine leadership and mental health. I've written a book called The Power of Authentic Leadership, which became a bestseller in a competitive category on Amazon. And that has really practical case studies in the book to help people become more transparent leaders, to increase employee engagement, to improve profits, and just have an overall more effective business. So my specific take as a nonfiction writer is how do I help people become better leaders? How do I be help them become more open and transparent, taking off that mask, increasing employee engagement, 
creating better cultures, and then showing them practical case studies, both in myself and the people I've interviewed, to help them go from point A to B. So as a leadership writer and a mental health writer, I'm really helping people connect within themselves, identify those root causes, and ultimately become more successful and prosperous human beings. Mm -hmm. Nice. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Guys, I'll add all books in the description below so you can find these books. I'm going to read them because I need the support as well. Jeff, my next question about toxic environment. You know, uh, uh, I want to share another story from my life. Yeah, uh, I made a lot of mistakes, uh, but I can, I can learn from them. And uh, uh, once we, uh, my company worked in big project and uh, I didn't pay attention that toxic environment appeal in our company uh, because all my attention uh, with this project. Uh, then a few uh, good players from my team left the company. I started to research what's going on and got it because of toxic environment. And uh, then I asked my audience uh, about toxic environment. It's a big issue. You know, it's not only in my company, in many companies, uh, because people have different cultures, mindset, uh, and they need to work together. Uh, so uh, can you tell how business leaders, uh, CEOs can decide such problems, how to find before uh, people uh, will uh, go away to competitors or any other sites. Uh, yeah, just uh, for example, if you uh, business leaders don't see, but how they can figure out that it happened. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, that vulnerable and excellent example. That that that's awesome. I, I awesome meaning not, not awesome that people left the team, but but the awareness is what I'm referring to. Yeah. Here that you're aware of it because a lot of people are not like you identified, oh, I wasn't aware of it. And then you thought, oh, why are people leaving? So that's what I wanted to give you credit for that, that awareness there. One thing I'm gonna share as well here before I go into how leaders can identify it is I mentioned I worked in digital marketing. I love it. I love the topic and I love the skills. I will say this, I've encountered toxic workplaces and not just me, but others have as well. And this isn't specific, to a geographic location. I've worked in countries all around the world and it's, it's everywhere. And that's a tough truth. I don't mean that to focus on the negative, but it's really there. There's, there's toxicity, there's gossip, fear, backstabbing, sometimes even sabotage. And I'm not saying this to point a finger at anyone. I'm saying it to identify this is a huge challenge in the business world. So first off, I'm acknowledging this is a really, really, really big mammoth humongous challenge. So it's not something we're going to solve right away, but we can take practical steps. So, okay. So if you're the CEO, a business leader or an executive in your business, you want to become more aware of what's going on in your workplace, harnessing and refining and implementing psychological safety is crucial. And there's all sorts of studies and articles and research on this. Psychological safety is really important. And if you have a toxic work culture, it's very hard to change. Sometimes you can't change the whole culture, but you can focus on your sphere of influence, your area of control. The people who report to you, how can you make them feel more safe? How can you make colleagues feel a bit more safe? Maybe you're giving a speech to the organization. Be a bit more vulnerable than you usually would be. 
I'm going to say this really quickly, but I was working for a corporation once and a big business leader came in and spoke to our department and he wasn't vulnerable. <coughs> excuse me there. He wasn't vulnerable or open at all. And our whole department was kind of looking at each other. We, we weren't, a, we weren't angry at him, but we were like, why isn't he being more transparent about what's going on with our business? So I'm saying this because if you're a leader, you may not be able to change everyone around you, but you can focus on your own habits, your own way of being. The people who report to you, like I said, also when you're doing speeches to the company, maybe it's also small groups. I know when I do consulting with organizations or it's coaching or whatever I'm doing, sometimes working in those small groups can be really, really effective. So identifying the challenge, what's going on, becoming more aware of it, implementing the psychological safety, and then taking steps to, to lead by example so you can make the people around you feel more safe. Mm -hmm. Nice. Can you tell your methods of coaching? You know, uh, I found that people, uh, uh, it's not a, uh, about lazy people. I think everyone, including me, you know, uh, when we learn, we usually uh, remember like less than 40% of all skills and big companies can pay uh, for coaching sessions like let's imagine $10,000 and uh, uh, if 60% uh, are ignored so they usually like uh, uh, they can pay like uh, $4,000 not $10,000 and uh, can you tell how to transfer data to decision makers to CEO or uh, any other responsible people to tell how it's important to implement tips to go ahead because if they don't want to listen to you or to hear to you i don't know <laughs> they do nothing or implement just uh, a few tips not everything so your methods about doing this <laughs> yes yeah we're, we're really diving in here so transferring data to those decision makers so they're not listening this is challenging this is very challenging so I would, uh, I would assimilate, I would, you're, let's say you're, you're in a manager role or whatever, you're, you're, you, are, you have a, some kind of role in the business, look at the practical data and, and collect it. Like, what's your turnover rate? How many people are leaving? How is the business performing? Is it going up or down? If things aren't going well, well, you might have a case there to share with the CEO. Well, we're losing people and performance is going down. And that's how you can keep it practical and you can share with them data like turnover rates, like profit margins. That's from the financial side of things. You can look at when you're within the digital marketing world, you can look at conversion rates and, and how the different channels are performing. And then you can take that to the, the CEO and say, well, here are the turnover rates around these metrics and here's how our organization is perhaps going down. Well, our culture is suffering, things aren't changing. People are leaving. And when you can make those very clear cases to the CEO, they might listen a little bit more. I'm going to add in one thing really quickly here as well. Sometimes you can't change people. That's just the way it is. And then sometimes it's a little bit unfortunate. I've had to do it. Then you have to find another job. You don't always have to do that. There are people that you can get through, but I've also encountered some really difficult people that they just, even with clear data, they still don't listen. Then you might have to find another job. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I remember Bernard Shaw, he said, if you want to teach someone, you can't teach someone <laughs> because, yeah. you know, if people don't want to listen, uh, you can't help them. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff, let's talk about mistakes. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. 
it's for me it's hard to count all of them uh but i learned i learned what to do how i got experience uh, that cause these mistakes uh, and uh, i can go ahead with this experience can you list mistakes that people still do uh, in mental issues uh, and your tips how to find a much better way yes yeah so we're talking about the mental health and the leadership and now we're going up like what are mistakes that people often make well I'm seeing, and I've made this mistake myself and, and others have as well. I'm seeing a common mistake that when we're dealing with toxic, difficult people in the workplace, sometimes we dig our heels in and we keep battling them. And that's very bad for our mental health. When we're trying to change people who won't change or we're trying to affect a situation. I've been here, by the way. I've done this myself. I've made this mistake. So I'm being very open about that. And I find our mental health is suffering because we're so caught up in that other person's dysfunction that we then haven't taken the time to care for ourselves. And this is where it's a balance. Uh, my friends, it's a balance because yes, you need to be bold. You need to put your opinions forth. You need to share what you think. Yes, that's great. That's incredibly courageous. You also need to take time for yourself. So what I'm seeing a big mistake happening is that people are struggling to find that balance. Sometimes they're either saying nothing and they're not speaking up enough or like I had just said a few moments ago, they're actually fighting back two months. I've done this too. I thought, oh, I can, I can change that toxic work culture. And I learned the hard way, Anatoly. I can't change them. Whether I have data or case studies or personal stories, it doesn't matter. They had a certain way of doing it and I dug my heels in and it made my life harder and it made my mental health suffer. So I'm seeing a lot of people do that. They dig their heels in and then they suffer. Yes, speak up. Yes, do your best to change it. But if people aren't listening, don't lose your mind over it. Don't go crazy. You deserve better. You're a worthy human being. Go find another job out there. There are functional, good workplaces out there. You deserve that. Go and find it. Nice, nice. Yeah, you remind me Gary Vee. He said once <laughs> about that. So uh, for him, when uh, he's hiring someone, he's looking for people that are not toxic. You know positive people because yeah. uh he doesn't care about skills knowledge experience uh he wants to cooperate with positive people uh and have this uh positive environment because uh it doesn't matter what kind of money you can earn you know it's better to cooperate with these people or uh people with your habits interests yeah something like this uh jeff i have the question about your experience you started in digital marketing then switch to uh, this direction uh, can you tell what will you do today if you started completely from scratch what have you changed and uh, where you acquired new skills knowledge uh, in this topic wow Uh, excellent questions, excellent questions, and I, and I'm really I'm really enjoying this conversation as well because I'm I'm really being in the moment as well. So th this is a lot of fun right now. So yeah, so so starting over, what would I do differently? Okay, so first of all, I'm very happy to have worked in digital marketing, despite having encountered some toxic workplaces. Digital marketing has helped me succeed as a writer, as a speaker, as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So those skills have benefited me in many ways. Here's one thing I would do differently is when I was starting out with speaking, I actually, because right now I get paid to speak. I'm very honored 
to say that when I started out, I actually went and paid my own way to speak at events for free. And the reason I did that was to just gain speaking experience. And that's okay. I had the right reasoning there. But I actually, in the beginning, I started to accrue a bit of debt because I was traveling the world speaking. And it's, it's great. People like my content. But I actually wasn't looking at the bottom line of my business enough. So what I would advise my previous self is, yes, have that passion and that enthusiasm. But while you're doing these digital marketing jobs, be a little bit smarter about what events you choose to go to. Don't just be kind of gung-ho, be a little bit smarter. Now I've kind of learned my lesson. Now I get paid to speak. Now I pick and choose a bit better. So we have to be wise. We have to be a bit picky. You know, you don't want to be desperate. And I'm not saying I was desperate, but I think I was really eager to get my message out there to the world. I was this digital marketing guy. And then I also have this, this powerful message about authentic leadership and mental health. And I was really excited to get that out to the world. So that was my why. And then I noticed I was just taking every opportunity. And then it kind of it got me tired. And I was kind of spending my money all over the place. I've learned since then. And what I would do differently is just be a little bit smarter, be a little bit more picky. Let people come to you as much as you go to them and also focus on the inbound marketing. Outbound marketing is great, but also inbound marketing is very powerful. And now I have more of an inbound marketing and it's, and it's going well. So those are some things I would tweak and kind of do differently along the way. Nice. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you know, uh, I remember a great story that Dale Carnegie shared on his book about a guy who lost uh, a job who lost uh, a lot, not only job, money, many things. And he was so disappointed. Then he uh, met another guy who uh, didn't have legs. And this uh, guy without legs was so happy, so happy and told him, look it, it's a great day, sunny day. And uh, he got it, he has legs. He has more than this happy guy. Uh, that's why I think uh, it doesn't matter if you have job, if you lost something, you need to stay focused to uh, <laughs> to stay happy with that. Yeah. Okay, Jeff. And my final question to you about the future. You know, uh, today we have AI, many other things, technologies. Uh, uh, probably, I don't know, people will change habits. But uh, what I see, for example, when I love read. Uh, reading uh, business books and I found that many of them, uh, for example, about marketing, uh, uh, I remember a book uh, from uh, Josh Ugerman, he wrote a book about uh, marketing and I can relate all this information to digital marketing because he shared about human psychology, I can use all these methods today uh, and uh, I think people are the same but technologies usually change. Uh, anyway, we have AI. Uh, and uh, I spoke with Jeff Coyle, co-founder of Market News, and he told me that in the future we will have three companies. Companies that develop AI, implement AI, and obsolete companies. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> uh, what kind of future will be in your, uh, according to your experience, and how we need to adapt today to these technologies uh, to cover this future? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this question I thought about a little bit in advance of our uh, discussion here today, Anatoly. So mm -hmm. very interesting. So of course, the big buzzword, chat, GBT, 
and then of course, not only ChatGPT, you've got Bing Chat. Google has their own artificial intelligence. There's all sorts of plugins. You've got companies that are making plugins to connect to the AI. You've got it the other way around where companies are making their own in-house AI. So I love that what you just shared here, that this quote, because indeed it is the way the entire world is going. I'm gonna share my unique spin on it and I'll share a couple things here. So one, we wanna make it work for us. So we want it to benefit our business. I would say you don't want to become so completely reliant on it that it takes over everything, but you want to utilize it as much as possible. So you've got your colleagues, you've got your employees, you've got yourself. Leave room for that creativity, but utilize the AI, the chat GBT, the Bing chat. Let it do a lot of the good research for you. Let it save you time and then complement the AI with your own creativity, with your own insights. Another thing I'm seeing in the tech world is that companies are not only making plugins to link into uh, all of these AI platforms, but they're creating their own AI, their own in-house AI. And that's why I love this quote, because with the plugins, they're working well. Like a company, say like Expedia, they make a plugin to connect to ChatGBT. And that's great, but then they're not owning that anymore. Then it's still giving the traffic and sort of authority to chat GBT. And what I'm seeing companies do now is they're creating in-house platforms where they're adopting very similar or if not the same programming language and interface as these AI platforms in their own companies. And then they can own that traffic and then you don't lose the traffic to other entities. It's a lot of work. You're going to need developers and creativity and time and insights and smart people. But I'm seeing I'm seeing that happening as well, the in-house development. So one, I'll just say this to just uh, as a reminder of what I said at the beginning of this answer. Don't let it take it over so much that you lose creativity. What I advise businesses is use AI, love it, let it help you in all the, the countless different ways. And at the same time, complement AI with your own creativity, your own insights, and then you can really lead your industry. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Uh, even Elon Musk, you know, when he criticized uh, open AI uh, yeah. a lot and signed the letter uh, with thousand other entrepreneurs to procrastinate the process when he got that he can't change the attitude because it's impossible to stop it. You, uh, even if we have regulations, yes. uh, China will develop AI, other countries will develop. So it doesn't matter. Uh, he can't stop the process. And after that, he bought expensive equipment to Twitter to develop this technology. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Jeff, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. I love your valuable insights. I need to find time because I have a huge list of books that I must yeah. read and I'm going to read your books as well. Tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Yes. Yeah, so my website is jeffdspeaks.com. So that's my first name, J-E-F-F, the first initial of my last name, the letter D, J-E-F-F-D, and then speaks, plural, jeffdspeaks.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn as Speaker Jeff Davis. Of course, I'm on the other platforms as well, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn is my primary focus at the moment. And then I have a blog. I'm very active on my blog as well. So if you go to jeffdspeaks.com, you can check out my Authentic Leadership blog. And also feel free to email me 
with questions, comments, concerns, insights, I'll be sure to get back to you. My email is jeff at jeffdspeaks.com, and I'd be happy to hear from you. Nice. Love it. Love it, guys. I'll submit links uh, to Jeff website, social media accounts, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, all social media accounts in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again. Love it. So valuable. <laughs> you know, I can feel a little bit more happy <laughs> when I read your books. <laughs> I will be more happy. <laughs> okay, guys. Love you. See you.